all you beautiful body bastards and welcome back to body ballads where we look at many of the forgotten hilarious and often dirty old songs of the past along the way we'll explore all those things that make life just a bit more interesting there's trickery infidelity loving drinking fighting and while we dig into these songs we'll talk about all kinds of stuff archetypes, history, folklore, and share the way these songs connect with the present. A fair warning before we begin, this show does discuss adult themes and topics, including violence, sex, and my own foul mouth. And as always, make sure to check the show notes for links, including thebodyballads.com, where you can share your creations with me and see the show transcripts and additional links if you're curious to learn more. And with that said, let's get to today's episode. Welcome back, my curious little devils. Let's talk fart jokes in today's episode, which I have decided to call a bundle full of farts, where I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to write up, because even though we all know that farts are always funny, I wasn't sure how to fill out the rest of the episode. I have two great ballads with fart jokes. What else? At first, I thought about talking about how this kind of lowbrow humor is one of the reasons ballads still get looked down on in the literary community. But then, as I looked up more about the history of fart jokes, I realized that the history of fart jokes itself is worth covering. Because today I realized that the great Jonathan Swift of Gulliver's Travels also wrote an essay titled The Benefit of Farting Explained which he published in 1722. However, he wrote it under the just as amazing pen name, Don Fartinando Puff Endorsed, Professor of Bombast in the University of Krakow, and translated into English at the request and for the use of Lady Damp Fart of her Fartfritcher, by Obadiah Fizzle, groom of the stool, to the princess of Arsemenia in Sardinia. No, Arsmeni in Sardinia. Sorry, tongue-tied, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I love Jonathan Swift, and if you haven't read any of his satire other than Gulliver's Travels as, say, an assigned reading, please go back. Read it again with more advanced adult eyes. Now, I'll admit that Swift's of Modest Proposal was one of the works responsible for me switching from a history to literature concentration in my undergrad. I could teach so much more with essays like A Modest Proposal that suggest eating babies as population control and poverty control uh, than I could with this just spitting out standardized historical facts in order to fit some standard curriculum. That way, I could teach all the ways people use story to make important statements about our everyday lives and the overall similarities of our most essential desires and struggles and how they remain the same throughout various times and cultures. And guess what? That's still what I'm doing, isn't it? Anyways, getting away with myself, let's get ourselves back to Swift, who opens this essay with saying, all little it's the saying that all little boys are like just uh, they love and that's basically if you hold it in you'll explode swift opens with a fart though wholesome does not fail 
Thus gunpowder confined, you know, sir, if barred of passage by the tail, grow stronger, as tis rammed the closer, to fly back to the head again. But if in open air it fires, and by its fumes disturb the brain, in harmless smoke its force expires. Now, tell me again that farts aren't always funny. The language is super formalized and the kind we'd expect to find from like a high enlightenment thinker like Swift, yet the still the same joke we all hear today. Farts are harmless if you keep them in, but if you hold them in, uh-oh. I remember one of my best friends in school going up and down the bus asking every girl if she farted just waiting for that one girl to say no so that he could say well you better before you explode q20 primary aged kids got laughing at the funniest joke they've ever heard now in the south there's this kind of joke saying that southern women don't sweat we glisten and we don't fart we fluff and that fluff concept kind of uh, appears itself today. Um, but the hilarity is that something so basic to the daily functions to all of us could be considered filthy, vile, or unacceptable. It is a representation of so many of the attempts that society is just absolutely ridiculous in its attempts to make itself above nature. Therefore, there's something about a fart that just instantly humanizes everyone and takes the tension out of any situation, reminding us that we are all human and make mistakes. Sometimes a fart just gets out of hand, like most of our social issues. It's the show, it's, it's the show that we all lose control of the one thing we're supposed to have control over, our own bodies. Mistakes are made wrong words are said, and sometimes it's a short. However, a fart tends not to signify any serious illness, like, say, vomiting might, which could also break any tension, but cause concern and not laughter. So much is involved with someone vomiting. It could be a sickness that's spreading through the air. It could be something in the food. It could be something in the water. If somebody around you is vomiting, everybody's all of a sudden really concerned about, oh my God, sickness and death. As opposed to a fart, which is, <laughs> I ate you farted. Those trickster farts just sometimes make an escape. And depending on who they are escaping from, the funnier they are. And they are also funny for different reasons. If you have a, the everyman archetype, Joe the plumber type character who farts, well, that's just emphasizing his character. It's funny because of course he doesn't care if he farts out loudly. Just so typical for such an uncivilized man to not know or understand that it's impolite and rude to fart in mixed company. We can laugh at just how out of touch he is with his, you know, what is considered civilized behavior. Meanwhile, the higher up the person is, when they fart, it's somehow immensely funnier than the everyman fart. The laugh after a band member farting versus the cheerleader farting are two very different jokes because one of them spend, spends vast amounts of time to present a persona of perfection 
And the other one is just being who they are, right? It's that mask of prestige that makes the all-too-human escaping fart even more funny because it's tearing away the constructs of perfection, and in that moment, they are no better than the rest of us, eating, farting, shitting, and pissing life away. Swift knew that a fart from a lady was funniest, and that's what he addresses. Now, I'm not going to read the entire thing to y'all here because this would get really long and there's a lot of historical satirical content that I'd feel the need to explain, etc. And this would be 12 hour long episode, but I can summarize his argument. He begins in a very serious tone to define what a fart actually is. He even uses the rather recent, at that time, Boyle's Law, which is about gases, to say the famous Mr. Boyle brings it in as an example to prove the vast subtlety of matter. Since a fart, which in the hydrostatical balance does not weigh the thousandth part of a grain, shall in one minute expand itself so far as to occupy the whole atmosphere of a large drawing room. Sorry, I'm trying to say it like all, like, um, very professional, academic, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then you just imagine a fart cloud just escaping and filling this super fancy 18th century ballroom with ladies and wigs, and you just, it's still so funny. He goes on to list a wide variety of experiments done on farts by early alchemists and chemists. Something I haven't thought about, to be honest. But you can't tell me they didn't. You're going to tell me a bunch of dudes playing around in an earlier lab didn't experiment with their own farts to figure out exactly what they were? Of course they did. We just don't talk about it in school, but we should, because let's be honest, that's how you get kids actually interested. Teach about Boyle and Boyle's Law and others doing experiments with farts to get kids interested in science and chemistry and experimentation. I mean, farts are funny, and the dichotomy of serious alchemists and early chemists like Boyle doing experiments with farts is too dichotic to not be funny. Finally, after going over all the science, Swift declares a fart to be a nitro-aerial vapor exhaled from an adjacent pond of stagnant water of saline nature and rarefied and sublimed into the nose of a microcosmical alembic by the gentle heat of a stercorious them with a strong epiria <laughs> and forced through the posterior speed of the compressive power of the expulsive faculty. A lot of fancy science words to explain what a fart is. It all sounds very serious and not what you'd expect for the beginning of a satirical fart joke essay. I keep wanting to say book. It's not a book. It's 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 an essay. It's it's two bucks on Amazon Kindle if you want to get it. And Kindle is really going to be the best option because um, it's not really easily available in book form. 
Anyways, on to the consequences. Swift seems most concerned with the consequences of women holding farts in, especially those of a strong constitution, where it vents itself entirely in talkativeness. Hence, we have a reason why women are more talkative than men. I don't know if the term full of hot air was around at the point, but the idea is there. He drives the point home with the evidence of one widow fartwell who, quote, having her posteriors much delayed and relaxed by a too frequent use of clysters in her younger days, she was so debilitated in her retentive faculty that her wind passing too freely that way, there wanted a sufficient supply to set the windmill of her tongue a-going. <laughs> Just this image of that old lady in the corner who don't give no shits no more, just farting away, but instead she's in a big fancy, you know, 18th century gown and wig, and everybody's trying to be polite society, and grandma's over in the corner just letting them fly. Like, it's, it's yeah, can't be a chatty Cathy if you're a farty fanny. According to Swift, all the mental health issues of females, from hysteria to being an idle gossip, could all be solved by farting. God, I love satire, and I'm pretty sure this is going to come down into the books. It's one of my favorite episodes, by the way. It just leaves so much to be unpicked and unraveled and just guffawed over. Swift goes on to his third point, which is to prove why it shouldn't be illegal or bad to fart pointing out that the severity of that law was provided against by King James I for a gentleman dying by suppressing a fart in his presence. The king had immediately written over the gate in capital letters this inscription, Here all farts are free. However, my favorite argument I'm sorry, it's, he prints it in all caps, like it is being shouted from the rafters. And even just saying that it out loud, even after I've typed up transcripts and everything, like even just saying, all, here all farts are free, like a declamation, is, oh. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> my favorite argument he makes is it's being contrary to custom is no plea. Since the same authority which introduced hooped petticoats can also bring farting into fashion. It's funny, but it's there he really gets to the point. It is ridiculous to make something so natural so shameful. By the end of Swift's century, the U.S. would be using the writings of Locke to argue about individual liberties and freedom. And Swift is kind of, kind of doing it here in a very witty, funny joke way about the way that society restricts individual freedom. It restricts some of our most basic, basic functions, if not by, uh, you know, law, then by custom, and that can be just as powerful. Social ostracization is a powerful tool, and uh, you fart in the wrong circles and get judged, that can be, you know, social suicide, which when you're a teenager is hilarious. It's fine. You'll be fine. You're a teenager. But during the 18th century, when Swift was writing, or even in certain political social circles today, to 
have that kind of slip up would lower your social standing for a significant amount of time. You end up becoming that dude who farted. It's funny that they can be so simple yet so powerful. Finally, Swift ends with looking at the benefits of open farting, which he holds to be freedom from all the ill side effects of holding it in, not needing so much antacids, but most importantly, it would be a great promoter of mirth. For I have known one single fart that made an escape raise a laugh for half an hour. It's such a logical argument, presented in such formal language, and it's just... Mwah. I, I mean, this is satire at its best, and I'm so in love with this essay, and I'm even thinking about using it to teach essay writing. I mean, how can something so natural be considered so bad? After all, even the most innocent of babies fart. In fact, there's an odd change in reaction with a baby fart. The laughter turns to a slight chuckle, but the humor is overshadowed by the sense of cuteness and, oh, bless his little heart, he don't know better. Funnily, not too far off how we would react to an everyman farter. Just less cuteness factor. All this brings me to our first ballad today. A Looking Glass for Lascivious Young Men, which is from between 1689 and 1692. Uh, and it's a special one because it was one of the first gems I found when I really started digging real deep into these different broadsheet and broadside collections. And it's one that made me realize how much potential lay dormant in these oft-forgotten songs because of one, mainly one simple set of words. A bundle full of farts. Now ask if I'm starting to call all babies bundles of farts. Of course I have, because nothing, <laughs> nothing captures a newborn better than calling it a bundle of farts, because that's what it is. Adorable, but stinky. So let's take a look at a looking glass for lascivious young men. An honest old man of late had gotten a prodigal son, who spent his coin at a mad rate, as if twould never be done. His father did pine away, his mother mourn and weep. These courses spoiled their mirth by day and robbed them by night of sleep. At length the young spark came home as poor as an old church mouse. So threadbare was the silly moan he could not harbor a louse. The old folks took him to task and hoisted him into a sieve, where they did many questions ask, but not account he would give. They sifted him o'er and o'er, at last they made him confess. At first came out a strapping whore, her name it was Bouncin' Bess. This slut she sucked him dry of all his money and wit, which made him now to roar and cry and look as if he were besh and give him the other shake, and out comes eight or nine more, which made them both such pains to take until they sifted a score. Next comes a young bastard forth, at which the old woman starts. It was a lumping pennyworth, a perfect bundle of farts. With that the old man took heart and said to his frowning wife, Let's sift him thoroughly ere we part, since we shall have grandsons rife. No, no, then answered the dame, this one is enough for me, for it would be a burning shame more bastardly babes to see. We'll sift him no more for such, but try him for another game. 
With that they gave him the other touch, and forth a laced cravat came. A pair of fringes, gloves fell next, with handkerchiefs eight or nine. My son, quoth they, keep to this text, and we shall not much repine. Then to it amain they went, and roundly sifted the sot, when lo, to their great discontent, they found out the Lord knows what. A whole magazine of dice, and not with nine pins and cards, good store, and after all a peck of lice came tumbling on the floor. And that which was worst of all, they sifted the spark so long, they broke the sieve and let him fall, and so I must end my song. There's such a wonderful brand of Monty Python-esque tone of humor here. It's not as direct satire as the next one we look at, but it's there. I mean, how many ballads have we looked at that deal with the aftermath of the actions of this kind of dude? Dead women and babies everywhere. Meanwhile, he's skulked back home knowing he'll get fully taken care of. And let's be honest, I think we all know this kind. They go out, they raise hell, and know that mommy and daddy will take care of whatever happens in their wake, so they pay no attention to how they could be destroying other people and their lives. They completely disregard the chaos and turmoil they leave in their wake because nothing is ever theirs to deal with. They never face consequences for the actions, their actions. We know these people. Every single one of us has had at least probably about, I know for me, it feels probably at least four or five so far. Uh, I know we all know multiple people like this. Now, at one point in the U.S., if you were a young man of certain age and were arrested for, I don't know, all that gambling, whoring that uh, these young men love to do in these songs, you'd be given the chance of, sorry, choice of jail or army. Many would choose army, and that is going to bring me to the next ballad, which is just pure satire. The ballad serves more as an attention-getter because it's that same brand of kind of ridiculous humor. I mean, the Battle of the Taylor and the Louse. The imagery there? Mm. Mwah. However, the end hits you with some beautiful criticism of the way the army recruited then um, and, and then treated those who served under her. The date of the song means it was likely written around the time of the first Jacobite uprising in 1719, which means they would have been asking for people to sign up and serve. Or if needed, they really just force people into service. And that's something we'll eventually get to when we look at some ballads that address that. But not today. For now, we're going to look at another... Uh, another... <laughs> wonderful work of satire. This one is from uh, around 1720. So round the time, a couple of years before Swift um, publishes his, uh, his satire of farting. So now for a bloody battle between a tailor and a louse. A tailor and a louse lived together in a house and betwixt them a quarrel rose. The tailor he thought much and he owed the louse a grudge for breeding her young in his clothes. 
says the louse, I wonder much that your malice should be such, that you would turn me out of doors. One time you know my brood was the best part of your food, you was so damnable poor. Deny this if you can, nine tailors makes a man. With naught but a louse you can fight, but was a louse to turn again? You're such a valiant-hearted man, t'would put you in a fright. Say then this very time, this tailor, neat and fine, caught the louse by the collarbone, said he, I'll let you know before I let you go, whether a tailor be a man or no. The louse, she gave a start, made the tailor let a fart, and unto him thus did say, Do not strike me when I'm down, that's the trick of a clown. I prithee, have fair play. Says the tailor, this I grant, that courage I do want. But the name of a coward I scorn. Fight your best, I do advance. I'll give you time to rise, for your speeches are not to be borne. Then the louse stood bolt upright and made a bloody fight. Gave the tailor a damnable blow, for he hit him over the knob. Made the tailor sigh and sob. He knew not how to stand or go. Then the tailor got his goose, and he threw it at the loose, and gave her bang on the side, says the louse, your heart is weak, for that's a coward's trick. And now I will tell, well tan your hide, then the louse got his shears and clipped the tailor's ears, and the blood it run on the floor, and the tailor sighed and cried. You would have thought he died. He said he would fight no more, so now you plainly see what valiant men they may be. Although of their courage they boast, but let them once be tried. Hard blows they can't abide. They'd rather have a pot and toast. If there's any tailor here who thinks I do them jeer, or imagine I do him wrong, let him take a gun and fight for King George and England's right, so here I'll end my song. All gentlemen tailors that are willing to serve in the company of Captain Louse and Colonel Flea's regiment of foot, let them repair to the sign of the cabbage and the three cucumbers, where they shall be kindly entertained, and enter into present pay with a nitty pair of breeches and three cucumbers a day. Gentlemen tailors, now mind your exercise. See that you march with a full body on an empty stomach, Advance your needle, cock your bodkins, rest your yard wand, prime your thimbles, shoulder your shears, join your right hand to the waist of your breeches, draw forth your live lice, cut their heads off and fling their dead bodies to the ground. Let the quick ones march by two and three while the trumpets knit, oh knit, from the right hand doubled to the left, triple file of tailors, so march to the devil. I love the image of a louse, lice, louse, kind of, you know, everybody should know what I'm talking about here. I don't, I shouldn't need to explain this. So anyway, screeching so loud that she scares a tailor into a fart. Now, obviously here, the louse is a metaphor for a woman, which would make the line about her children being most of his food when he was poor a bit dark. But then it balances out again with the imagery of a cabbage, which is, of course, full of fart connotation. Now, one thing we'll see as we continue is that for whatever reason, 
Taylor seemed to be seen as some of the worst in the worst in terms of trade. There are so many songs about Taylor's. The closest modern equivalent would be lawyers in terms of, like, bad jokes. But when you take into account the amount a set of clothes would cost at the time, and you had to have clothes, I think the transition's clear. You have two two different trades that could probably come off as a bit predatory if, if left to their own, you know, devices. But, you know, you have to have lawyer. You have to have clothes. Back then, you had to go to the tailor. And with the lice thing that comes up, it's kind of evidence. Like, there was probably, especially in poorer communities, a serious health issue of buying clothes full of lice. Because the tailor was nasty. Um, cloth could also be carrier of diseases. Sweating sickness was always popping up around, you know, this time, as was the fucking plague. Um, so you can see probably why, you know, that's going to become a, a topic of further discussion. Anyways, that's not what we'll be talking about next time. Next time, we'll look at wooing witty women. As in the Elizabeth Bennet type, smart and sassy. But as always, stay saucy. Till next time.